The first scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The second scripture reading is a a compilation of selections from Paul's epistles. Let there be thankfulness to God. Make music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you are taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives. Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. This Sunday always stands in contrast to the two weeks that immediately precede it, because we're coming off of these uh, two very demanding sermons, demanding for me as a preacher, demanding for you as a congregation, these very direct, pointed, in-your-face sermons about financial giving. So what I always like to do, on this week after those is to give everybody a break, to give myself a break, to give you a break, and we have a a much softer, gentler message every year on this subject of of gratitude and thanksgiving. Like I said, it's it's something we do every year. I do a different version, an updated version of this sermon each year on this Sunday, so the the pejorative term for that would be a rerun. Uh, I prefer to think of it as a tradition. This is an annual tradition at LMCC to talk about gratitude the week before Thanksgiving. So uh, if you've been around, and this could be getting a little bit boring for you. If you're new, it's, it's all new to you. Uh, but even for myself this week, as I was preparing uh, this message that I've given many times before, I was reminded about how important and how significant this topic really is. And so even for those of you who have heard all this stuff before, I pray you'll, you'll get past your initial defenses and and try to let it seep in once again. Uh, We're going to look at the subject under four headings, the subject of gratitude and thanksgiving on the the Sunday before Thanksgiving. First, the significance of gratitude. Second, the source of gratitude. Third, the sickness of ingratitude. And then fourth and finally, some strategies for becoming more grateful. So the significance of gratitude, the source of of gratitude, the sickness of ingratitude, and then some strategies for becoming more grateful. So first, the the significance of gratitude. And basically what we're doing in this 
first section is trying to rebut this presupposition that a lot of people seem to have today, which is that gratitude isn't that important, that it's not that great. It's, it's not a virtue that gets a lot of attention. It's not one of the sexier virtues like, like courage or creativity. In fact, uh, some people may even think that gratitude is sort of a mixed bag. You know, there's a downside to gratitude. Like you could be overly content. Maybe you're not agitating for change enough. If you think about it in terms of like going in for a, a job interview, and they ask you, well, what's your greatest strength? And you say, well, I'm, I'm just an extremely grateful person. Well, that might be some red flags, you know. Well, what is that going to really offer our company? How is that going to move the ball forward? And yet, in contrast to that modern attitude, the ancients had a very different attitude toward gratitude. Sorry, I'm going to try to not rhyme that too many times in this section. Um, Cicero said that gratitude is not only the greatest of all of the virtues, it is the parent of all the others. Not only the greatest of all the virtues, it's the parent of all the others. And in recent years, science has been backing him up on that claim eight thousands of years ago. You know, uh, psychology is only, the science of psychology is only a little over 100 years old. Freud's Interpretation of Dreams was published in the year 1900. And for the first 80 or so years of the science, it was focused exclusively on the abnormal and on the negative. And it's only within the last several decades that they've started to say, well, wait a minute, maybe we should look at this from the other side as well and study things like happiness, study positive things. So one of the biggest areas of new research over the last two or three decades has been with respect to gratitude. And uh, so public consensus hasn't quite caught up yet, but the scientific community has started to figure out gratitude is actually a very big deal. There have all these these scales that they've developed to try to assess how grateful somebody is. There are all these tests, all these exercises for increasing your gratitude. And I want to read you a summary of some of the findings. We'll put this up on the screen so you can follow along. What they've found is that people who either are extremely grateful on one of these scales or who practice one of these gratitude exercises are happier, less depressed, less stressed, more satisfied with their lives and relationships, have higher levels of personal growth, purpose in life, and self-acceptance, have more positive ways of coping with difficulties, are more likely to seek support from others, are less likely to try to avoid the problem, deny there is a problem, blame themselves, they sleep better because they think less negative and more positive thoughts just before going to sleep. Gratitude has one of the strongest links with mental health of any character trait and has a unique relationship with overall well-being, explaining aspects of well-being that other personality traits cannot. In other words, Cicero was right. It's not only the greatest of all the virtues, it's the parent of all the others. And that, of course, is what the Bible and what the Christian tradition has said from the very beginning. Martin Luther said that, Here's I'm not going to be able to avoid the rhyme here, he said that, Gratitude is the basic Christian attitude. Gratitude. Not love, not faith, but gratitude. It's the basic way of being for a Christian. And the reason he feels justified in saying that, how can you make that claim, is because all through the New Testament, on virtually every page, is some version of this admonition, be thankful, give thanks. Do this or that with thanksgiving. Do this or that with grateful hearts. You heard during the scripture reading this morning, the first scripture reading was, or second, was a, a mashup of you know, the same thing over and over again from all these different places. The New Testament just can't stop talking about it. Be thankful. Jonathan Edwards, who's widely considered to be the, the most important American theologian, was a pastor in Massachusetts in the 1700s. He made it one of his life projects to try to figure out 
How do you tell the difference between a religious phony on the one hand and a genuine believer on the other? Because obviously both types exist. We, we all know that there are both types. And as you get to know somebody, you can kind of figure out which one they are. But sometimes when you first meet somebody, it's hard to tell. Is this person just kind of talking the talk? Or do they really believe and they really have God in their lives? You can fake it. And so Jonathan Edwards wanted to know, how, how can you tell these types of people apart? And what he determined was one of the easiest and one of the best tests for whether someone is a genuine believer and whether they really have God in their life is how grateful they are, if they are possessed by this sense of gratitude. He says if a person's not grateful, it doesn't matter how many Bible verses they know, it doesn't matter how often they come to church, it doesn't matter how many good deeds they do. If they're not grateful, it is very difficult to argue that they really have the Spirit of God in their lives. The, the first scripture reading this morning emphasizes this as well. It's a story that you may have heard before, or at least you heard it this morning, read the story of the ten lepers. These, these ten guys have leprosy, and so they're, they're quarantined outside of the society, and they call out to Jesus, have mercy on us, heal us. And Jesus calls back, go show yourself to the priest, which is what they would have had to do to, to be readmitted to society if they had been healed, to get the go-ahead. And so, in, in other words, he's saying, Start walking, and you will be healed as you walk. And that's what happens. They start walking. They are healed as they walk. They show themselves to the priest, and the priest says, yeah, you're good to go. Nine of the ten then go on about their business or return to their families or whatever else. One of the ten comes back. Only one of the ten comes back to say thank you. And the first thing Jesus says is, well, where are the other nine guys? And the second thing he says, which is kind of interesting and confusing to us as readers at first, he says, Go now, your faith has made you well. And the reason it's an odd line is because well, why is he saying this to this guy now? Your faith has made you well. Wasn't he well already when he was walking on the way to the priest? And weren't the other nine guys wells also, even though they didn't come back and say thank you? But if you look at it more carefully, the, there's two different types of being made well that are talked about in the passage, two different Greek words that are used. So for, with respect to all ten guys, as they're walking to the priest, what it says of them is that they were cleansed. It's talking about physical healing. But then when you get to this other guy, the guy that comes back and says thank you, when it says of him that he was made well, the Greek word that, that's being used there for made well is the word that everywhere else in the New Testament is translated as salvation. He was made well or he was saved. In other words, gratitude is what's necessary for not just the physical healing, but for the emotional and the spiritual healing, for being healed on a soul level. It's extremely significant. That's the first section of the sermon, the significance of gratitude. So now that we've covered that, now we know how important it is, let's move on to the second section of the sermon, which is the source of gratitude. That's why it's such a big deal now. Where does it come from? And with gratitude, this is one of those cases which... I love, as a lover of words, where you can figure out the root of the phenomena by going to the root of the word itself. So the word gratitude comes from the Latin word gratus. The Latin word gratus gives us a couple of English words. It gives us gratitude, but the other English word that the Latin word gratus gives us, it's also the word, the, the root of the English word grace. And what I'm getting at here is that the fact that gratitude and grace start with the same three letters is not a coincidence. They're not just related concepts. Rather, gratitude and grace are actually, the, the best way to understand it is, they are two sides of the exact same 
coin. So grace is, is what happened. Grace is the event. And by the way, what is grace? We've talked about it before. But grace is getting something good that you don't deserve. That's the event. That's what happens to you. And then gratitude is nothing but just acknowledging it, naming it, calling it out, saying, grace, that happened. Grace, I saw it. Grace, this is real in my life. And this is clear, this, this connection where they're, they're the same thing, just two sides of the same coin, is clear in other languages besides English. So, you know, in, uh, in Spanish or Italian, you receive grace, you say gracias or grazie. In French, you receive mercy, you say merci. The only place that this is still preserved in the English language is with this idea of saying grace before a meal. You know, you may wonder, why is it, why is it like that? Why, why is it called saying grace? It's called saying grace because you receive grace. It's God's grace that you have this food on the table. It's God's grace to you that he's provided for you for another day. And so you call it out, you say grace, just calling it what it is. So now that we understand that, it makes sense why the New Testament would be talking so much about gratitude and about giving thanks. Because what else is the New Testament talking constantly about? Grace. You could argue that the primary theme of the New Testament is God's grace to you. His undeserved grace to you that he allows you to come back to him even after you turned your back on him. That he's changing you. He's not just leaving you the way you are, but he's making you into a different and better person that he's making everything new, that he's going to make everything new again someday, and you're going to be a part of that, that he forgives your sins over and over and over again. It's all God's grace to you. And the, the Bible's idea is, look, this happens, and so you should say something about it. You need to acknowledge it. It's not just the, the spiritual stuff or the big picture stuff, although that's obviously the, the top of the list, you know, new life in Christ and forgiveness. Uh, but it's also these, these other gifts that are from God. You know, for me, it's thinking about, I don't deserve to be the pastor of this great church, and yet here I am. That's grace. I don't deserve to be married to my wife, and yet I am. That's grace. I don't deserve to have four daughters, and yet I do. It's all grace, and you have your biggies, you know, the big things in your life that God has given you. It's also even just the small stuff, you know, the small, physical, everyday stuff. We were talking about saying grace before a meal. I want to read you these lines from G.K. Chesterton. He says this, you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before I open a book, and grace before painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. It's all grace. All of these gifts, all these everyday things we take for granted, it's all undeserved it's all God's grace to you. And maybe even more importantly, it's, it's all stuff that he thought up, not you. You know, we get this, we can start to think that, that we came up with all this stuff and that we deserved all this stuff. And, and gratitude is really, it's about not plagiarizing and, not, and just giving proper attribution to where it came from. I want to read you this passage from Psalm 104. It says, He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. 
God does all this stuff. God makes all this stuff. God came up with all this stuff. And we can get to this point as human beings where we act like, yeah, you know, wine, for example. Wine. We, we came up with that. Pretty smart, right? We're, we're pretty cool as humans. We came up with wine. It's pretty great. He didn't come up with wine. God came up with wine. God saw, from the beginning of time, the wine that Melchizedek would serve to Abraham when he blessed him, and the wine that Christ would serve in the upper room at the Last Supper, and the wine that would be served at the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's his story from beginning to end. You didn't write any of it. He just gives it to you and lets you live in it. And grace is just realizing that and saying that, and, and stopping with this business of pretending that you somehow did something to deserve it or came up with it. So when you drink your wine on Thursday, remember where it came from. What gratitude is, is it's just remembering, acknowledging, saying, I receive grace, I receive, grace, I receive something that I didn't deserve. So let's now move to the, the third section of the sermon. That's what gratitude is. That's where it comes from. That's its source. But third, let's talk about the sickness of ingratitude, the sickness of ingratitude. And now that we know what gratitude is, it's going to be pretty straightforward and easy to figure out what ingratitude is. If gratitude is this feeling that you've been given more than you deserve, then ingratitude is the feeling that you deserve more than you've been given. And so I'll just pause right here and ask you point blank. And I know I said this was going to be an easy, gentle sermon, but I have to ask this one question, which is, which of those two statements describes you better? And I don't mean um, like when you're in a philosophical moment of reflection, you know, and just kind of thinking about your life as a whole. I mean, during the week, which of those statements is true of you more of the time? Is it more often true that you are sitting there thinking about how you have been given more than you deserve? Or is it more often true that you are sitting there thinking about how you deserve more than you've been given in one area or another? See, none of us would, would describe ourselves as ungrateful, and yet when you face those questions, you realize that ingratitude and a sense of entitlement is a bigger deal than you want to let on at first. And just as the Bible talks about what a big deal gratitude is and how important gratitude is, and you know, what we, like we were talking about in section one, that gratitude is an essential part of salvation, even, and being made well on a soul level. The opposite is also true, which is that ingratitude is a, is a very serious sickness. There's this uh, it's very sobering verse in the book of Romans that I want to read to you. Paul says this. He says about a group of people, they knew God, but they refused to give thanks to him. And as a result, their thinking became futile, and their hearts became darkened. It's a pretty heavy statement. Their thinking became futile. Their hearts became darkened. It's somewhere you don't want to go as a person. And where that starts is, oh, they knew God. Sure, they knew God was there. But they refused to give thanks to him. Ingratitude is where that sickness starts. And when your, your thinking becomes futile, your heart becomes darkened. In other words, ingratitude is like a poison that seeps into your bloodstream and pollutes your thinking and clouds your emotions and messes everything up. And you, know, you say, well, where does that poison come from? So the answer to that, I don't want to weird anybody out, but I also want to give you the, the actual answer, is that the, the poison of ingratitude comes from the devil himself it comes from nowhere else but the devil himself. I know many of you don't believe in the devil. You know, you say you believe in God, but you don't believe in the devil. 
That's fine. I'm not going to be able to convince you of the, the truth of this this morning, but I, I do want to at least say that the Bible treats the devil, treats Satan as a very real person, power, force, not some uh, you know little guy with horns and a pitchfork and a, a pointy tail, but rather this, this, this person who is incredibly effective at and incredibly devoted to carrying out his mission, which is spreading these poisonous lies. And his favorite brand of poison, his favorite lie, is this lie of entitlement and this poison of ingratitude. This is from, from day one in his interactions with human beings. This is what he's been after, because this is who he is. What Scripture tells us is that Satan, the way he got to be who he was, is that he was an angel who was in heaven and thought he deserved more than he was being given. He thought he deserved a higher station. Ingratitude is his basic nature. And so his goal is to get us to come over to his side and be ungrateful like him. And you see this from, from the very first interaction he has with people. So you go back to the Garden of Eden. God has given man and woman this beautiful garden, all these trees to eat from. And he says you can eat from every tree in the garden except one. And the proper response to that is gratitude. We didn't do anything to be put here. We didn't do anything to be made by you. We didn't do anything to be given all of this to eat and enjoy. Thank you. That's the proper response. And the serpent comes in and says, well, wait a minute. What's with this one tree? You know, why, why isn't God letting me eat from this one tree? You know what? You deserve better. You deserve more. And the poison of ingratitude crept into our souls and seeped into our bloodstream and has never left. This idea of entitlement, this idea that we deserve better. Uh, Generations later, in the book of Numbers, there's another episode that relates to this, where uh, what had happened was the Israelites are on their way to the promised land, you know, they're journeying through the wilderness, and they had prayed for food, and God, in response to their prayer, had, had sent manna from heaven. So food literally falling from the sky. This is about as, as straightforward as it gets in terms of God's provision and God's grace to you. So first, they're really grateful. And then they say, well, I mean, it's, it's the same thing every day. You know, like, I don't want to... I don't want to be rude or anything, but like maybe we could have a little bit of a variety. I just, I, you know, just a suggestion. And so in response to that, God sends snakes into the camp. He sends venomous snakes into the camp that, that bite a lot of people and a lot of people die. And uh, commentators have pointed out, look, there's a connection here. You know, there's a lesson here for us. God's sending a message, and the message is, don't you remember where ingratitude comes from? It comes from the serpent. It's a poison from the serpent. And, you know, it seems, at first you read it, and it seems like really vindictive of God, almost really hard line, you know, well, you complain, fine, I'm going to send snakes. But I think the, the right way to look at it is, is rather to see it as compassionate. Because what he's doing is he's protecting his people against a greater poison. He's saying, as bad as it might be to be bitten by a venomous snake, the poison of ingratitude is far worse, because that will separate you from me altogether. That's the third section of the sermon. That's the sickness of ingratitude and entitlement, this feeling that you deserve more than you've been given. So fourth and finally this morning, to wrap up, we need some strategies for becoming more grateful. It's a very big deal. That's where it comes from, this feeling of grace. 
It's a, it, the sickness of ingratitude can, can take us out of the game altogether. So we need some strategies for becoming more grateful. I want to give you three simple strategies. I want to warn you that they are deceptively simple. You know, you're going to hear them and you're going to say, well, that's it. Uh, especially because at first they all sound like ways for expressing gratitude. You know, nothing but, well, if I'm already grateful, this is the way that I show it. And so this wouldn't necessarily help me to become more grateful in the first place. But that's not the case because the way gratitude works is gratitude grows when it's expressed. And so by expressing gratitude, you actually increase your gratitude internally. And the best way to become more grateful is to show your gratitude for the things you're grateful for. All right. So three things, three strategies for becoming more grateful. The first is to make a list. And I've been telling you to, to do this for years. I don't know if anybody has actually taken me up on it. Um, but of all the things I tell you to do, this is probably one of the easiest and one of the most bang for your buck in terms of immediate life impact, making a list of the things that you're grateful for and making it a habit to continually add to that list. You know, we mentioned the gratitude research at the beginning of the sermon, and this is the thing they've studied more than anything else, is what happens when we just make people sit down and once a week or once a day write down here five things I'm grateful for, here ten things I'm grateful for. And what happens is their you know, sense of well-being skyrockets compared to a control group every time just because of this simple step. And say, well, how long a list should I make? Well, as long as you can. There was this great Christian book a couple of years ago, bestseller by this woman named Ann Voskamp called 1,000 Gifts. And what she does is she decides, she's discontent with her life, and she decides instead of changing anything about my life, what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to try to make a list of 1,000 gifts from God, gifts God has given me that I'm grateful for. And she chronicles how over the course of the year, making this list absolutely transforms her life. Why? Why would something as simple as listing out the things you're grateful for be this transformative? The answer is, it's not even real until you name it. You know, you, you think that you're grateful. I, I'm grateful, I just, I just don't say it. I, but I am. I really am. On the inside, I am. And that's just not the case. Gratitude, you know, I said it earlier, it grows when it's expressed. And another more pointed way of putting that would be to say, it doesn't even exist until it's expressed. It can't just exist inside of you and like a dormant state. It's not even real. It's not even there until you say it. I want to read you a great passage from C.S. Lewis that talks about this phenomenon. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it's expressed. You have to name it. You have to say it if you're going to really be grateful. If you look up the word gratitude in a thesaurus, one of the antonyms is the word forgetful. If you forget it, then you're not grateful. And, you know, you see this with, with Israel. When God does something, every time he does something, they set up some sort of monument. We've got to remember that he did this because you're so quick to just move on to the next thing. It's the first simple strategy for increasing gratitude in your life is to make a list. And, by the way, for those of you who feel like, you know, some of you are into this and it, there's no, like, hang-up for you. Others of you feel like this is too kind of... Uh, pop psychology or positive thinking or kind of silly Pollyanna, you know, it feels like um, uh, Sound of Music, you know, a list of my favorite things, and you you don't want to do this. Um, If that's how you are, if you're a very serious person, you don't like this kind of thing, um, what I would encourage you to, to see this as is nothing else besides the very serious business 
of prayer. You know, if you think about what is prayer, well, one of the things it is is just making a list of things you're thankful for to God. A lot of the Psalms are nothing but that, just this long list of God, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for this. So when you're doing this, when you start this list, and it says at the top, God, I'm grateful for dot, 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 every time you add something to that list, what are you doing? You're praying. And if you're not in the habit of prayer, this is a really easy way to get started and to get into that habit. This is the first thing, the first way to express your gratitude is to, to make a list. second thing, and I'm going to be brief on this one, because uh, we had a whole sermon on this a few months back, but uh, it, it can't go without being said here. The second way to express your gratitude, but also to increase your gratitude, is to sing. And, you know, you've heard, you guys have all heard my spiel on this before. Singing is a very big deal at our church because singing is a very big deal in the Bible. You go back to all of those uh, passages where it talks about be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. About half the time it's also saying be thankful and sing. Sing with thanksgiving. It's thankfulness and gratitude linked up with singing and music. The two go together always. And that's why Christianity has always been a singing faith. You know, if you think about... Um, the number of songs that have been written about Jesus Christ versus the number of songs that have been written about any other person. I mean, the, the comparison, it's just astronomical. There have, there have been hundreds of songs written about Jesus since we've been sitting here. In every language, it's the most sung about subject. For the last 2,000 years, it's not like old songs, it's new songs. There are more new songs written every year about Jesus than any other subject. Why? Because singing is an expression of gratitude, and gratitude is a response to grace, and Jesus Christ is the greatest example of and embodiment of God's grace. Jesus is grace to us. Jesus is grace in a person, God giving himself to us. And so when you, when you see that, the, the proper response is to sing. It doesn't matter if you're a good singer or a bad singer. It doesn't matter if you like to sing or you don't like to sing. I don't really care. You need to lift up your voice. You need to open your mouth because if you stop up your voice, gratitude eventually will die out in your life. So we're going to sing a song of thanksgiving at the end of the service today as we do most weeks. And what I would encourage you to do is just to sing with, with more than your usual enthusiasm. Whatever usual is for you, just take it up one notch from there. Singing is a way to not only express gratitude, but to increase it. And the last one, I just want to mention this one in passing. The last way you express your gratitude, but also increase it, is to give a gift. And we don't need to say much about this because we've been talking about it for the last two weeks already, incessantly. Um, but just to say the obvious, and I already put this in an email to all of you this week as well, which is that one of the main motivations for giving that we didn't have as much time to focus upon this year as we have in prior years is we give because God gave to us, and we give as this expression of gratitude. Thanks and giving go together. They always go together. And the only way to really prove that you're grateful and that you're thankful is to give. So I know many of you have been praying about that, have been preparing to do that for the last several weeks, and you'll have an opportunity, if you haven't already, to do that as we sing this, this last song in just a minute. And I love that we're going to be doing this, that we're going to be giving these offerings of thanks, these offerings of thanksgiving, um, at the same point in our service that we're also going to be receiving the elements, receiving the body and the blood of Christ and taking communion. I'll close with, with this thought, which is that, you know, at our church we call this ritual that we do every week communion, 
but you probably know that, that most Christian churches in the world refer to this ritual as the Eucharist. What does that word Eucharist mean? Eucharist is the Greek word for Thanksgiving. And so the Thanksgiving meal isn't really on Thursday. Really the Thanksgiving meal is this meal that we already eat together every week at the end of the service, the body and blood of Christ. Paul calls the cup of Christ's blood, the wine, he calls it the cup of thanksgiving. It's this this celebration every week, giving thanks to God for giving himself to us. So I encourage you to take it with thanksgiving in your hearts this morning, to take it with gratitude in your hearts, to give your offerings with gratitude in your hearts. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've never realized that that Christ didn't just die, but he died for you. Maybe today is your day to take this meal for the first time with meaning to take his body broken for you, to take the cup of his blood which was shed for you, and to receive this grace that God wants to give you. Let's pray. God, we're here this morning with grateful hearts. Whatever has happened this past year that we are saddened by, or we are burdened by whatever losses we've endured, or whatever tears we've shed, whatever stress we've been under, anxiety, or depression that we've been experiencing. God, we know that despite all of that, and in all of that, you are still with us, you still sustained us, and you've given us so many good gifts, gifts that we too often accept without even pausing to say thank you. So we want to stop and say thank you this morning. We want to turn our hearts toward you with praise and with gratitude and with thanksgiving. We want to express our gratitude to you by remembering, by making a list, by not forgetting, by singing to you, by praising you, by giving to you, because you gave to us first. You gave to us first by giving us yourself and by forgiving our sins, by taking them onto yourself. And so this year, as every year, we want to head into Thanksgiving with that thought on our minds more than anything else. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.